Stay tuned to the end of the show to find out how you can hear exclusive bonus content. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the G-Talk Show with G-Mama, Josh, and Tony. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. Hey, got a Jeep, want a Jeep, never driven anything but Jeeps? Well, this show is for you. Josh, Tammy, and myself are here to inform and entertain you while we talk about, wait for it, Jeeps. Well, Josh, did you exercise your constitutional right and get out and vote over this last week? Well, Tony, you know I did, but I don't think the polling places were none too happy about seeing me more than once, and I have no idea what the fallout may be of me handwriting in a third option in every category. (laughs) Should I even ask? Tony, don't tell anyone, but he was scribbling Jeep Talk Show as a write-in option for nearly every election, Tony. (laughs) I've been getting calls about it since Tuesday wanting to know if I had anything to do with it. Some report of national voting fraud or something like that. So before the ring phone rings again, Josh, what do we have coming up tonight? Well, Tammy, I am, as always, glad you asked. Dr. (laughs) Moab is back with us, and oh, good God, does he have a story to tell. You guys aren't going to want to miss this. We'll hear about some predictions coming true and uh, another round of recalls in This Week in Jeep. Tammy, you're getting all rusty again. Well, at least well, she's going to help us all from getting a little more rusty and Wrangler talk coming up later on. And uh, DMR Ham Radio, what is it? I don't know, but don't worry, you'll understand. <laughs> Mickey G calls in to share something that only he can do and only the way that he can do it, and we're going to have a whole bunch more stuff, so stick around. Tammy, I was just thinking, have you considered a rusty hair color? I know you're into changing your, your hair. Oh, uh, maybe. I bet you there's what? some listeners out there yeah. would like to see you as a redhead. I could <sighs> I could go red. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not going to go with the carpet thing again. I know, I was like, please don't go there, Tony, please, but you did. You did. Local Jeep news, national Jeep news, and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. And This Week in Jeep is brought to you by Amazon.com. Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and that means overeating, turkey day football, and of course, food coma naps on the couch. So if you need a last-minute team jersey, a neck pillow, or just an economy-sized bottle of Rolaids to combat the in-laws cooking, you'll find the perfect holiday survival solution at Amazon.com. Hey, before you start shopping, though, be sure to click the Amazon button on our site first. This will make sure that any purchase you make will have a small percentage donated to help out the show. With all the holiday shopping about to happen, well, be sure to click the button every time you go online. Well, a prediction from the grave has come true. Jeep, or now Fiat Chrysler, or any of its very previous forms and under various umbrellas, has long been the little guy among the Detroit Three, the three biggest automakers in the nation, really, General Motors, Ford Motor Company, and of course, FCA. There's no denying the numbers. Ford and GM's profits, workforce size, and national stature have long overshadowed Jeep. But in a quarter that included the unexpected death of CEO Sergio Marchione, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles made clear that it can hang with the big dogs. FCA outsold Ford in the U.S. in September for the first time since 2015 and out-earned Ford in the third quarter, both in net income and operating profit. 
FCA's 10.2% profit margin for North America, a record, by the way, topped Ford's 8.8% and equaled GM's. Not too shabby, huh? The performance validated a prediction Marchion made back in April before his death in late July. He said that FCA's North American margins were entering those of Ford and GM after lagging for years. Like an I told you so from the grave, everyone is quoting Marchion's words. If it doesn't happen on my watch in 18, I don't have a single doubt that my successor will be able to whack the crap out of both of them. The machine is ready to do it. Just let them engage. They did. And they came. And they tried. And at least one of the two fell short, while Jeep made a good account of itself to GM. Now, of course, this was all done on the back of Jeep. FCA benefited from the 16% U.S. sales gain from the newly redesigned Jeep Wrangler in the quarter and the 12% increase from Ram's 1500 that was recently redesigned. The recently freshened uh, Jeep Cherokee was no mere honorable mention, pulling in a 10% increase for the quarter unto itself. Marchione had told analysts in October of 2016 that FCA would, quote, be able to achieve double-digit margins once those, produ- uh, once those products came online. Well, and here we are. Sergio's predictions coming true one after another. FCA's global uh, adjusted earnings before interest and taxes rose 13% in the third quarter to $2.27 billion on a 9% gain in revenue. Its North American margin was more than double the 4.1% it reported in the third quarter of 2014 when FCA began its five-year business plan that will end with the new year. The bottom line here, folks... Ford and GM aren't the only big dogs on the block anymore, and Jeep, well, is single-handedly rising FCA to the ranks of the nation's largest, most prominent automakers. Congrats to FCA and Jeep, and to the shareholders, well, drinks are on you. I think it's the Jeep girls that are doing it. I see so many women driving Jeeps. It's unbelievable. Yeah, uh, you see a lot of JKs out there. I've been seeing more mm-hmm. JLs, too. I saw one... Uh, Today, a nice bright green one. You know, uh, it strikes me as um, I can't think that you ever get used to the risk involved in generating a new a new model. Uh, and mm. and you know they got all these plans and and they're looking at these percentages and trying to increase sales and margins and yada yada yada. And in in all of that, they go from well, let's stop making the JKs that we know we have this market. And let's redesign the Wrangler and make the JLs and, and hope that the, the, the company, the, I'm sorry, the country, the people in the country are going to embrace that. Uh, that's right. got to be a very tight sphincter moment for anybody involved in that process. I would kind of agree with you, Tony, but, you know, with all of the design cues that went into the redesign of the new Wrangler and as much as those cues came from the public and more specifically, the off-road, uh, the off-road enthusiasts really uh, is who commanded the redesign of, of this new Wrangler. A, a, a lot of that shows. And, and I, I don't think this, a lot of these changes were done blindly. And if they were, I think I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, but, you know, all of the redesign really was purpose done and done from specific in, uh, input from us, you know, the, the people out here who use our Jeeps. And, uh, and, and it really shows. I, it, had they not done that, well, we'd probably be seeing different results. But as it is, man, that Wrangler has been hitting it out of the park. Well, let me, let me put it to you this way. If you go to YouTube and click on what's hot or what's trending or whatever – it's makeup videos. It's uh, it's this crap that nobody in God <laughs> green earth is going to want to see. I don't know why some of these are getting millions so of views. So this is like, my really? point. So you, you go through every logical step that you just mentioned, and then you have to depend on the public 
the public ag- agreeing with all that information, and that's why all I say, make up no matter, public, yeah. yeah, no matter how much you put logic and design and uh, study groups and stuff you throw at it, you never really know until it gets out there, and and, and it really has worked for them. And I'm I'm glad. I, I'm, I absolutely love seeing the the new Wrangler. Uh, I just don't like those taillights. Uh, <laughs> but the, the rest they're of it looks great. They're easy to spot. Yeah, they're easy that's to true. see. You that, pick, pick them out of traffic real easy. And, and that's not a bad thing. You know, not only can you recognize that as a Jeep, you go, they, you know, that's one of the new JLs because it's got those ugly taillights. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is kind of an ugly one. Uh, this is a recall notice, and we get these on occasion. This is a worldwide recall as well. So despite the small numbers globally, I thought it is my duty, if nothing else, to bring to your attention this critically important recall. It was announced this week that Jeep and FCA are recalling exactly 6,745 Grand Cherokees. I know, not a huge number, hmm. but they are only the Trackhawk and the SRT trim levels. Now, okay, now you're ready to hear what this is this time, this recall? It's kind of big. They're just too damn fast. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, it's not burning roofs this time or broken frame welds. It's, it's actually something far more serious. Jeep is recalling. For these vehicles, the floor mats. <gasps> I know. In all seriousness, though, the recall states that these specific floor mats are at risk of, quote, trapping the accelerator pedal. Now, ordinarily, you think this isn't a big deal. Happens all the time. Happens to me, in fact. You just reach down, you give it a little yank, but with up to 707 horsepower on tap, well, you can imagine any instances of unintended or inadvertent throttle can get pretty disastrous pretty quick. Heck, you guys remember the uh, the Toyota and the Prius floor mat debacle way back in the day? Yeah, people went into walls and poles and stuff driving Priuses. Prius, people. Now, slap another 700 horsepower on that Prius, and, well, that hitting the wall seems a lot less like a bumper car ride and a lot more like a Jackson Pollock painting. Now, FCA says it's discovered the fault after it received one customer complaint. Imagine that phone call. Now, so far... <laughs> Wait a <laughs> the minute. screaming okay, alone. <laughs> you, Bob, you just sold me this thing. Good God, I just about went into the wall. So far, there isn't any reports of uh, related accidents or injuries. Uh, thankfully, about one-third of the affected SUVs are currently sitting on dealer lots still because, you know, who can afford an $88,000 vehicle? Uh, the company also assures that all of its vehicles come with a brake throttle failsafe that cuts the gas when both pedals are pressed. But just go ahead and take a guess about how many people were instructed on this procedure or will remember it in the throes of a 707-horsepower beeline dash towards that jersey barrier. As per usual, affected Trackhawk and SRT owners will be notified and given revised replacement floor mats. In the meantime, though, the company is telling people, and dealers included, to remove their driver's side mats. Yeah, probably a good idea. <laughs> Concerned owners are advised to contact their local Jeep dealership or call the FCA recall hotline at 1-800-853-1403 to see if their specific vehicle is affected. Once again, that's one 800 853-1403 if you have a uh, Trackhawk or an SRT Grand Cherokee and are worried about the recall. I know what you people are thinking, and I'm going to tell you, do not call that 800 number and just say Jeep Talk Show and hang up. We do not <laughs> want that happening. <laughs> you know, if I was the lawyer for the young man that was uh, in a chase here in Houston that went down I-10 and outran all the uh, uh, enforcement, law enforcement uh, authorities, 
and the the two helicopters that were chasing it, I would jump on this floor mat uh, defense very quickly. Right? No, very quickly. <laughs> oh. See, there's a recall. I, I yeah. tried to stop. <laughs> it was my intent to stop. Uh, why didn't we see your brake lights? You know that's a good question? Give me that's a second. That's a really good question. <laughs> Funny you should mention that. <laughs> I think I was I was trying to get the floor mat from underneath the pedal. That's why. That's it. I was too concerned about slowing down and the danger to the For public. Thirty-seven miles, <laughs> but it was <laughs> but it went by just like this. With <laughs> seven hundred horsepower, your honor. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, if you guys have a news tip or response to any one of our stories, we'd like to hear from you. Be sure to let us know what you have to say by phone or by email. Just head over to jeeptalkshow.com/slash/contact and find out how to reach out. And coming up here in just a little bit, we have an interview with, well, you might know him as Dr. Moab. His name is Ryan Ward, and we've got him coming up here in just a little bit. And now it's time for some Radio Com Tech. Well, good evening, boys and girls. We're going to do a little a little segment here about a DMR radio. Now, this is a digital form of communication over the amateur radio uh, waves or bands, if you like. And it's not something new. Commercial operators have been using this for a number of years. And we're going to uh, learn a little bit about uh, DMR, uh, why it's a good thing, and uh, why you might want to get into it. Now, I know some of you people aren't in- into the amateur radio, but you're curious about it. And that's what we're trying to do here is make you more informed, especially whenever uh, CB is your only alternative. So we're going to have Josh, who's uh, known as Hosh Nasi. His uh, call is KI6NAZ, and uh, I was uh, lucky enough to run across him on YouTube, and he uh, had a great video about DMR radio, uh, which I watched. He uh, actually did a review, and uh, I was sold on the radio. I purchased it, and I've been having a lot of fun with DMR here for the last month, and uh, I was lucky enough to get in contact with him and talk him into coming here and doing a few segments for us. Josh, thank you very much for being with us tonight. Now, I, I think that uh, you had mentioned that you wanted to actually start off with uh, what's the difference between analog radio and uh, digital radio, which would, uh, in this case, is uh, the, uh, the DMR. Yeah, and I think it makes things a little bit easier to slide into. So you mentioned CB, right? So a CB radio will take your audio input modulate it and it fits in a bandwidth a space that that information takes up on the physical you know rf spectrum uh, dmr works the same way so does the handy talkies our regular ham handy talkies they work on fm and so what dmr does it's a, a little bit different is it takes that full bandwidth of space that would normally be filled with an analog voice and it's it's basically cutting it in half so it's taking the the data which is your voice and reducing it now, the advantage of that is while you still, to your human ears, it sounds fine, it sounds good, maybe a little robot-y in some cases. Uh, what's good about that, though, is you can get further away from the transmitting station on your receive side and, and vice versa, back and forth. So it has a much um, less drop-off period that analog radio has. The digital receiver will take incoming DMR sound and be able to demodulate it, decode it, and still give you a really good audio quality. So 
advantage to DMR, particularly if you're off-roading or whatever, is that you can get a little bit further away than you could with an analog radio. And it works a little bit more as the noise starts to creep up as you get a little bit further on those edges of your normal transmit space, if you will. Now, would that be due to error correction, the, the error correction nature of digital uh, that you can, it, if you're losing bits, it can actually uh, fill those bits in? Uh, I've never actually looked up to see if DMR does error correction, but I was assuming it did. Um, yeah, it's, it's all part of the the spec, if you will. And and I think you mentioned, um, you know, corporate or, or businesses using DMR, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. All these digital modes that we've kind of co-opted, I call shoehorning, um, into <laughs> ham radio are using these business modes, even the proprietary ones that we call, you know, D-Star and Yesu System Fusion. They're all kind of built off of the standard C4FM that includes what DMR is using too. So yeah, it's, it's all kind of baked into that standard. And uh, oh, I, actually, I'm thinking about CDMA. I was going to say the C4FM was a uh, a cell phone standard, but I think I'm thinking the wrong thing. No, you're you're close. Uh, one letter off. TDMA. So DMR, they use TDMA two slot, two point five kilohertz channel widths. Which is a little bit nerdy, but that's what they're doing. <laughs> no, no, that's why we're here. We want to let, let people yeah. know. Uh, we don't want to be too nerdy because we don't want to lose them. But uh, I think it's good, especially for the the more advanced folks that uh, have some background that just may not be amateur radio operators. Yeah, you know, just the way to look at it is it's a it's a magic box um, and it works. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and there you could you could dive into it if you want to, but. Basically, the digitizing allows you to get a little bit further out. And if you were on a repeater, so, you know, there are repeaters all over the place and there's a lot of DMR repeaters that are popping up every day. Um, The DMR repeaters will actually allow you to have two time slots, two channels that are concurrently going on. And that's facilitated by the ability to kind of split the audio into two. So the the time slot, I'm trying to think about how how we could. Um, well, you know, I guess on CB, if if people have the uh, the the CB background or they have some knowledge about CB, it would be somewhat similar, but not exactly uh, like upper and lower sideband. So if you're familiar with a, a sideband uh, CB radio, uh, it can you can do upper or lower. Uh, and I say it's kind of like that, but it's kind of different. But am, am I on the right track here, Josh? Well, I mean, it, it might be easier just to kind of explain what a repeater is quickly. Oh, sure. Right? So a repeater is just a more powerful radio that we usually put on a mountaintop or whatever. And we talk into it on one frequency and we receive it on a different frequency. So the talker calls into the repeater, keys it, opens it up. We say something. And at the same time, that repeater is transmitting that same audio out to everybody that's listening on the receive side. If in the case of an FM, an analog repeater, that person talking is taking up the full power, the full bandwidth of that repeater. No one else can talk. They're the one that basically has the conch and can send their message, right? With DMR, because you're able to um, reduce the size of the data, the the bandwidth that it's taking up, you can have two concurrent calls going on at the same time, and your radio is smart enough on which one to squelch out, to silence or mute, in other words. And really, the only way that this is possible to be done on the one frequency or a frequency pair is because it's digital. If it wasn't digital, if it was analog, you're just going to get uh, heterodyning or somebody talking over somebody else. Exactly. And and the repeater's smart enough to know, oh, this guy's on time slot one or time slot two, and that's how it knows to separate it. And your, your receiving radio, it also knows, right? 
So if somebody goes out and gets a DMR radio, it seems like the DMR radios to me, the majority of them are the handheld units or the handy talkies instead of like a a more traditional mobile radio. Now, I know you can get mobile radios, but it seems like the way to get started in DMR is the the little handy talkies. Is that uh, is that correct? Yeah, and and you've already mentioned it because it's a part of the business area. People used it before ham radios kind of co-opted it. It's been picked up largely by Chinese companies that are producing really inexpensive radios, and I think a lot of them are sub one hundred dollars now. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's a great way to get started because often these radios do both analog and digital. Now there there's some complexities there. There are programming challenges that you have with DMR that you don't have with a standard analog radio. And by no means am I saying DMR is better than analog. There are specific cases for each one that I, I support and think they're a good fit. And, you know, that, that's kind of up to your decision-making when you're going out to invest in a radio. Well, one thing you can't do with an analog radio is have a radio hotspot and connect it to the Internet and then talk easily anywhere in the world, which I think is a huge advantage to a DM, DMR. And also, I'm sure you can do it on D-Star and uh, Yezu's Fusion, but of course, the only thing I have uh, any familiarity with is the DMR. Yeah, and then I think we talked a little bit earlier, I mentioned if you think of a radio like a Swiss Army knife, a DMR radio has a lot of tools at your disposal, and one of those is a hotspot. Now, um, understand it's very internet dependent, so if your internet goes out like in an emergency situation, you're kind of SOL, but it's just another layer of functionality that the talk groups basically get extended through this little hotspot that connects you to the internet. So your gateway to the world is as far away as your hotspot and your cell phone, which you're you're running internet to the hotspot through, basically. Right. So if you look at the CB as being the most common way, or maybe the family uh, service radios uh, as being the most uh, simple and common way for people to communicate on radios. Uh, this, you know, the CB has a very narrow spectrum, a very narrow a range of frequencies that you can uh, communicate on, uh, and uh, the FRS is the same way. This Swiss Army knife that you can buy for uh, under a hundred bucks is, uh, it's, it, it can be very complex to use, but once you have it set up, you have all this, this huge world, this, these huge uh, number of things, ways that you can use it. So in my mind, at least, it is a much better, uh, a much better tool, uh, especially for the money, and even uh, perhaps better in an emergency situation. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you on that one. Um, CB can be difficult in an emergency situation. Uh, it's channelized. You have less options of where you can transmit and what you can receive on. And sun cycle being what it is, and this is a whole other nerdy topic, but <laughs> um, CBs basically are operating on 11 meters. Uh, that's an 11 meter RF size wave, a physical RF wave that is 11 meters. These DMR radios are operating on 70 centimeter and 2 meters generally, which is a line of sight radio communication. So if you can see the person or thing you want to talk to, you can generally hit it with 70 centimeters and 2 meters. You can't necessarily do that with CB. There are issues there, um, and they require a little bit more finagling to get them to work correctly, particularly in a mobile installation. Right. And if you guys uh, think of, well, meters, that sounds like a measurement of length. It is. And yeah. so when he says uh, two meters or 70 centimeters, uh, that's the, the, the full length of the antenna that you need. So the antennas are much, much shorter than CB, which is oftentimes a limiting factor, especially in mobile operation. Um, yeah, and 
Indeed. Real quick point there. The um, We can get by with quarter wave and half wave and length antennas for whatever meter band you want to operate on. CB is no different in that case. Correct. Uh, unless you have a, a non-metal body like a Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck with the ground plane on that That's one. exactly right. All right, so Josh, thank you very much. That's uh, the, We're wrapping it up here for uh, for our first segment of DMR Radio. And don't forget, you can check out Josh Hoshnazi over on his YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Hoshnazi. Perfect. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Coming up in Tech Talk, uh, well, I guess we really don't have a Tech Talk this week, but Josh, you said you're working on something special for next week. Yeah, that's right, Tony. And this one is going to be for all of the TJ or LJ owners out there. I'm going to be outlining a little trick that will vastly improve night driving for you guys. But uh, you're going to have to wait till next week to find out how to do it on your own Jeep. And trust me, this is going to be an easy one. Just about anybody out there can do it. Yeah, it's a FLIR system, isn't it? It's a forward infrared looking. <laughs> forward looking infrared <laughs> devices <laughs> plastered all over the bumper. Heads up display on the Jeep. Really easy to install. Trust me. Oh, jeez. I love this. I'm looking forward to this. I, I can't wait. I, I, I love little tricks and hacks. I can't wait too. Yeah, they, I think everybody does. It's always fun, especially when they're cheap. Is it only for TJs and LJs? Yes. Well, Tammy, it's it's funny you mentioned that. I'll I'll give you a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, it does have something to do with the JKs as well. So you're you're oh. not entirely uh, out of okay. out of the woods. So yeah, it's just, you'll 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 want to stay tuned. And even if it isn't, it's always good to to give the JK owners hope, so they'll tune in next week. So right, good job, exactly. Josh. <laughs> well, you, Josh knows not to leave me out. <laughs> you're listening to a four by four radio network podcast. Oh, you most certainly are, you lucky listener, you. And new stuff is happening all the time at the 4x4 Radio Network website. The next time you're online, just head over there. Go to 4x4radionetwork.com. You'll see the Jeep Talk Show there, of course. But we've got you covered for no matter what you drive off-road. Listen to the 4x4 podcast, the Center Steer podcast, Trail Chasers podcast, and the On the Trail podcast, too. All for free and all in one place. That's 4x4radionetwork.com. Hey, and if you've been looking for an excuse to check out the Trail, Tra- Trail Chasers podcast, uh, now's the time because uh, Cody was out at SEMA and he got several interviews out there. So you want to go over there and listen to some of the Trail, Ch- Trail Chasers podcast recent ones so you can uh, jump in on those interviews. Shut up and listen. Shut up. Shut up. So shut up. You don't shut up. Uh, shut up, Shane. Hey, shut up and listen. It's time for Wrangler talk. It's time for G-Mama. So I'm going to give you guys another rust, rust update, and I know you're probably sitting on the edge of your seat. This is running, your, what running it is. your life, I Tammy. I know, it is. <laughs> um, it's been raining, so I haven't been able to get to my, my bumper. But um, so I back in April, I mentioned this on a previous episode, just was it last week or the week before, but I yes. tried out five products. And as you heard, they didn't work on my bumper. My bumper is getting worse. Um, But I also needed to check my undercarriage and I was going to spray the fluid film on it. So I got under my Jeep this past weekend and I was pleasantly surprised. Oh, good. Um, Yeah. So um, the Coracil, which is what I put on underneath um, my, my skid plates and the parts of the frame and my sliders where I scraped and it started rusting. And there was only a few rust spots that I saw under there. 
And those were the new spots that I got after I did this, the spots that I got this summer. Um, so all that rust prevention I did under the Jeep in April held up. And I was rereading the instructions just to make sure I was doing it right um, for the other spots that I found. And it stated on the can, and it didn't really click with me until this time, um, to, that the Coracil and the Ospo are for light rust. So that's why it didn't hold on my front bumper, because obviously the rust on my front bumper is not light rust. Um, but I'm happy to say the Coracil worked perfectly on my skid plates and on my sliders. And what I did was I just painted that liquid Coracil on those scrape spots that you can start to see rust happening. Then I sprayed a self-etching primer and the Krylon Rust Touch spray paint. Um, and if you want to see my steps, it's on my blog. Just um, Google Jeep Mama Rust Prevention and all those will pop up. But um, I did it again. I did follow that same process again on the new spots. And um, once all that dried, then I took that fluid film and I sprayed the undercarriage, the frame, the sliders, um, the skid plates. But you got to be really careful around your brakes because you don't want that. It's like a lubricated, it's almost like a... Um, like a petroleum jelly type, but it's it's more liquidy, but it's got that greasy feeling. But anyway, that is going to help protect it against all that chemical road, road salt, which I'm going to see this winter. And now they're saying we are going to have a more than average snowfall between 26 and 40 inches of snow this winter. So you know there's going to be more salt on the road than snows. So Prepare your Jeeps now, everybody in that salt belt area. Um, so this weekend, barring no rain, I'm going to tackle the front and rear bumper and I'm going to do a lot of sanding and use the POR, P-O-R-15. I'm going to try that product out. I really, really would like to take off my front bumper, sandblast it, and then just paint it Um but it's now, the Jeep is now our family vehicle. It's my daily driver. I don't have the time to do that. Um, maybe this summer, um, I guess I could take the front bumper off and pull out the stock bumper from the attic and put it on my Jeep. But I just can't, I just can't put myself to do that. It just, I could never go back to that stock bumper. But anyway, so this weekend, I'm going to tackle that front and rear bumper and I'll, We'll have to see how it holds up over the winter. You know, Tammy, um, you're talking about the, the stock front bumper, and I started to say I'm kind of surprised you still have that, um, but I'm not. I guess what I'm surprised is you didn't uh, put it up on Craigslist and, and, and put on their like-new Rubicon uh, stock bumper, uh, $4,500, like, <laughs> like everybody else does. <laughs> right. <You> know, <laughs> and then put it in the attic. <laughs> actually, um, uh we were going to pull, I asked my husband to help me pull the bumpers down and the floor mats because um, they're all brand new because they came off the Rubicon immediately after I bought it. And because, you know, I'm in my selling of Lego mode, I thought, oh, I might as well sell these. And I thought, you know what? I better not because I might need this front and rear bumper 
if these two bumpers keep rusting away. Oh no, you, it's they're not going to rust away. Uh, there's they're too thick for that. But uh, I know what you're saying. Now the floor mats, I could see people actually wanting to purchase yeah. the floor mats because floor mats get a lot of wear and tear. And how nice would it exactly. be to have the the Rubicon uh, uh, like new uh, floor mats? So yeah, they're, so I will be putting those up for sale. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold on to them, frankly, because there's so many yeah, nice so uh, um, uh, fitted formats. Yeah, the yeah. rubber wise, especially when you're out in uh, dirt and mud and stuff. Right. It's, exactly. Definitely don't want that inside the nice, the nice Jeep. Well, folks, coming up later in the show, we're going to hear some funny stuff from Nikki G. Maybe. How how dare you question that? It's always funny, Tammy. This is Zach from CNM Jeeps. This is Lisa Simon from Trim Perfect. This is Alan Peterson with Painless Performance Wiring. This is Amy from TNA Decal. This is Neil from SFJ4x4.com. This is Randall Spear, Motorsports Manager from Dana Aftermarket. This is Paul Wolf from ENI USA RM. I'm John Eastmore from Black Forest. This is Nathan Leahy from Mickey Thompson Tires and Wheels. And, and you're listening to the Jeep Talk Show. And a nice big Jeep wave goes out to all of our friends and fans in the off road industry. We thank you for your support. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. All right, boys and girls, it's another uh, episode of the Jeep Talk Show tonight. And, of course, that means another guest interview. We're going to be re-interviewing a gentleman that was with us back on episode 351, uh, you, you probably remember him as Ryan, not to be confused with Ryan and Extreme Terrain that we had last week, but uh, this is Ryan Ward, or better known as uh, Dr. Moab. Is it Moab or Moab? Moab. Moab. I like that. Yeah, Moab. So, uh, as you guys may recall, or if you didn't, you can always go back to episode 351 and listen to that interview. Uh, Ryan was going to be going uh, like basically dirt roads for a good 700 miles at least uh, from uh, one part of the country uh, and then ultimately getting to Moab for the 35th anniversary of the uh, Naxja uh, get-together. Is was that the that, that, is that 35 years of uh, Naxja? Is, was that what it was about, uh, Ryan? No, uh, 35 years of the Cherokee. Ah, there um, we go. Because yep, I thought that was yep. a long time for, for a, yeah. a forum. <laughs> Was was the internet even around thirty five years? That's ago? what I was. That's what I was wondering. You know, it's the time has flown. So, uh, Ryan, thanks a lot for being back with us. And and it, from what I understand, uh, you not only uh, did you travel halfway across a couple of states to get here tonight, but you're fresh out of the shower. So we have a nice fresh Ryan to talk to. Yeah, I'm still wet. No way. <laughs> um, yeah, I come home from Idaho tonight. So. So appreciate you making that long run and, and just uh, rushing home and getting in here to, to to do this interview. So tell us, how did it? Uh, go ahead and give the the folks the, uh, a re, uh, I guess a rerun of what it was that you guys were accomplishing, where you were going to start from, and where you're going to wind up. Yes, yeah, so we started in Salt Lake. Um, I, you know, I had a friend uh, that flew in from Australia, plus several friends from you know around. Most of us were from Utah, but we had a guy from Colorado and a guy from. Uh, California, who all met up here, and then we uh, left Salt Lake uh, and took off in Price, yeah, Price, Utah, hit dirt around Price, and then we, uh, the, the goal was to basically go over landing um, 
for several days and then end up in Moab. We left here on the 4th of October and ended up in Moab on the 10th and then spent the 10th through the 14th there. Um, but uh, the, 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 the main, it, it started with uh, Scott Wood, my friend from Australia. He had, I think he'd been to the U.S., but he'd never done anything like this before. So I wanted to show him as much of, uh, you know, the, the best part of Utah that I could and just ended up with uh, more and more friends joining us. We ended up with seven or eight of us uh, in the end, I believe. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Now, now you had a, a brand new to you, highly modified MJ that you were driving, and you let him drive uh, your uh, XJ. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, we we split off here and there. Most he he mostly drove the XJ, but uh, you know we we split off now and then. So. And but, you and so. you made him pull the trailer. I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, wasn't the plan? I wasn't planning on taking the trailer. So you know, uh, um, my my trailer is set up with a roof top tent and my awning and everything and when i bought the mj i thought you know i can i can use the same rack system that's on my trailer and put it on the mj and i won't need to even take the trailer but we loaded everything up in the truck and it was so heavy we got out on the highway and it was dangerous to drive like it 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 was wandering the springs are so soft on the back of it that that, that I was like, this isn't going to work. So last minute, literally the night before we left, I, I, I decided to hook the trailer on and load some of the heavy gear into the trailer. So it wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, it's good that you did a test drive too, to, to find that out. Well, we, so, so the way it worked, cause, uh, Scott, you know, flying in from, uh, Australia, we were leaving the day he flew in. So he flew in at like two 30 in the afternoon we wanted to try to beat rush hour traffic out of Salt Lake. So I drove the MJ down to a friend's house the night before who lives down by, you know, uh, a little way South of Salt Lake. And, uh, so we could just drive the Jeep down, pick him up or drive the Cherokee down, pick him up and then drive to my friend's house and then, and then, you know, grab the other rig. And it was on the way down to my friend's house when I I was like, Oh, this, this isn't going to work. So, so literally, it was a last-minute decision to to hook the trailer on and bring it. So, uh, what kind of uh, fun did you guys have? I guess what I, I guess what I should say is, and, and I'm not jinxing it since it's over. Uh, what was your first problem? <laughs> the first problem was that I got ran over by a jeep. Yeah, literally. So we we pick up Scott from the airport. We drive to my friend's house, and uh, we all decide to meet there. You know, uh, all of us that were uh, coming from Utah anyway. And uh, my other buddy Dave Williams, he gets there, and we're literally pulling out, and his Jeep won't start. And uh, he gets a hammer. He the starters just won't work. So he gets a hammer out and he's you know tapping on the side of the starter to get it to work. And and I asked him, I'm like, well, have you tried to have you tried to just uh, jump the solenoid? And he's like, no. And so I'm like, well, let me grab a screwdriver. So I grabbed a screwdriver and I hopped under the jeep and I I uh, oh, no jumped the starter <laughs> and it was in gear. It was it's an auto. I don't know why it was in drive, but it was in drive, and he wasn't in the jeep. So 
I'm literally laying underneath the Jeep, jump the starter, it starts, it starts to move forward and it catches my right toe, which, you know, it, 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 by then I'm trapped and it proceeds to run up my leg all the way to my pelvis and, and then drove off me at, at about my, right at my, my hip. So, so yeah, that started the trip off good. <laughs> <laughs> so you basically failed as a wheel chalk. You'll you'll never be a professional um, wheel chalk. Everybody was calling me wheel chalk on this trip. <laughs> yeah. Uh but it was bad. I mean, I I'd, I'd never been run over before. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, and I'm sure you don't want to be run over again. That's horrible. No, no, no. <laughs> and and I didn't know, you know, so I'm laying in the road. I'm like kind of in a fetal position laying in the road and I'm <laughs> well, like am I, am I am I going to die? <laughs> Cause I didn't know, you know, I mean, I was like kind of in shock. I didn't know. No, I'm like, well, my first thought was that didn't hurt as bad as it should have. <laughs> and, but I mean, it hurt, Yeah. But it didn't, but you know, I'm like, it, it just didn't feel like it hurt as bad as I, I thought it would. And, and, uh, of course the adrenaline's pumping 300%, right? Cause sure. I, I was scared and, and I, so I'm just, I'm just kind of huddled up in the road and everybody's running up. It's like, are you okay? You're okay. And I'm like, just leave me alone for a minute. Cause I didn't know if I was okay. And I didn't dare stand up cause I didn't know if my leg was broke, you know, or, or anything, but I, but I stood up and I'm like, well, toes work, legs work. Everything seems to work. I, maybe I'm okay. And so poor, uh, poor Dave, <laughs> the guy that owned the Jeep, um, he's one of my best friends and he, was so quiet after that. I, I know it really, really, really bothered him. And, and, you know, it wasn't his fault. I mean, it could, it could have happened to any one of us, but, uh, yeah. Well, it, do you think that maybe he was quiet like that? Cause he was afraid maybe the Jeep was going to get damaged driving off by itself. <laughs> <laughs> he was just, he was, he, uh, his, his wife met us down in Moab. And she was riding with me because they had a whole family and they just needed to split up some people. And she right. was telling me that, that he had called her and, uh, he's like, I, I just about killed my best friend. You know, I mean, he was really upset. So, you know, but, but it, I mean, it, it, it worked out. I, I, so, so basically you can be a, uh, you can do a public service announcement of why uh, we don't, uh, we shouldn't uh, jumper our uh, neutral safety switches because this, <laughs> these it, are the kind of things yeah. that can happen. And, and if you're going to, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you hear all the time about, you know, you know, safety first, you know, making sure wheels are chalked and that it's, that, there's a reason for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it could have been bad if I would have been six inches to the right it would have got up into my abdomen and I know that I would have ended up with it at, at a minimum, I would have ended up with some serious injuries. So all it was the back tire that ran me over and not the front. I think if it would have oh, been that's the true. front, yeah. it would have been a lot worse. Yeah. More, more weight on the, where the engine and everything is. So, yeah. uh, uh, all jokes aside, any lasting injuries, bruising, uh, soreness? No. Well, yeah, I got a little bit of soreness in my pelvic region, but it's, I think it's just kind of deep bruising. I, I worked out okay. And it's obviously been, been long enough where uh, you're, uh, you're sure there's no long-lasting effects. So I, know, I hope so. I, I know you drive a, a drive a truck. I guess you haven't had an issue sitting for long periods of time. 
No, no, haven't had any any problems. So well, good. That's great. I it's, think I'm okay. It's a damn interesting story, and there's not a lot of people that can <laughs> say they got uh, run over by a uh, by a jeep and uh, yeah. then continued on the trek uh, without uh, uh, anything other than a little concern about uh, uh, the uh, <laughs> the wear and tear on the clothing. I can tell you that oh, it broke my belt. Um, it it actually it actually broke my leather belt. So, I mean, it, it put some pretty serious force down, no. but yeah. So, uh, I can tell you that it really, really, really pissed my wife off that I didn't go to the doctor. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> so that's that, but they, but the women love going to the doctor. Everybody knows that. <laughs> Let's go to the doctor. I, I, she, you know, she was right. I should have gone to the doctor. It was probably really stupid for well, you got lucky, and you, you kind of yeah. have to trust yourself uh, and how you feel. And uh, it, it could have been worse than that, you know, and some internal bleeding and stuff. But I think that would have shown uh, raise its ugly head pretty quick. Um, so I was going to ask you about uh, <laughs> once you once you knew that you could jump start the the jeep. Uh, who was jump starting it from there on out? Because I know it wasn't well, you. Well, <laughs> I. I think some of the first words out of my mouth when I knew I wasn't going to die was, Dave, you are going to the parts store and buying a ah, start tonight. <laughs> good. <laughs> so before we left, got too far out of, in the boonies, he uh, went and bought a new starter. And the next morning when we got to camp, we jeep. And, and uh, so we didn't have that problem the rest of the trip. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be sucky. But but of course, you know, all of us that uh, drove back and forth to high school, we we remember those days where you just had to do what you had to do. It was either that or ride the bus. So you did what you had right. to do. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we got to take. All right, so you guys uh, got on the road after the Jeep got on Ryan. You guys got on the road, and uh, is it? Uh, I'm sure you picked this uh, this route because of the ability to go off road the, uh, the most of the route. But is that unusual for that area of the country to have that many miles of off-road uh, capability to get from one point to the other? You know, I've, I've, I've said this a lot, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I, I've often said that I, I really honestly think that if you were to win the lottery at 18 and had an unlimited supply of gas and didn't have to work, I don't know that you could see all of the dirt roads that there is to see in Utah in your lifetime. Wow. Um, it's you know, it's, I don't want to say endless, but, but there is a lot of country to see and, and it's, it's big country. I mean, obviously not big country like you guys have in Texas, but it's, it's big. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, there are several groups, uh, one of them, uh, Expedition Utah that have planned and run what they call uh, the Utah Traverse. So there's actually several Utah Traverses where you can literally run from one corner of the state to the other corner of the state all under. Um, there's a few spots where you, you know, you might have to get on pavement for a few miles, but if you plan it out right, you can literally cover from one end of the state to the other on dirt roads. Yeah. I figured if nothing else, you had to do, uh, you had to do a, uh, uh, uh public road crossings uh i'm, I'm sure yeah. that that, yep. that happens probably quite a bit uh but that's really cool and uh, so is are you new to overlanding uh my, my feeling is is that uh you uh, the, the majority of your off-roading has just been you know the hardcore wheeling on uh, in moab is is that correct or am i wrong on that that standpoint no well so oh, it's when i first the first jeep i had 
was just a mildly built Wrangler uh, YJ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, that's kind of where I cut my teeth. I spent a lot of time on easier stuff. Back then, there wasn't a lot of people who were running lockers. And, you know, that was kind of a kind of a new thing. Not like it is now where you can go buy a, you know, a, you can go buy a Rubicon off the lot, right? That's more capable than, you know, anything was back then. But um, I slowly worked into rock crawling. Um, my first Cherokee was, was, you know, by the time I finally got rid of it, it was a trailer only Jeep. Um, but I, I kind of burned out of that and wanted to see more country. So I moved from that when, when I bought my, the, the Cherokee that I have now, it was nice. It was newer and I kind of wanted to keep it nice. And so we really slowed down and kind of changed the way that we did things and, and, uh, started to do a lot more exploring and, and, uh, and we, uh, oh, uh, I, that was probably, I think, well, I've had this Jeep eight years, no, 11 years. Wow. Now. Um, so yeah, I would say, I guess about 11 years ago was when I really started to get into that kind of, kind of, uh, exploring. Uh, we bought, we had a truck with a camper and ended up back in 08 when the market crashed and I, I had to sell my truck and, and when we sold the truck, we're like, we should, we should get a rooftop tent. You know, no, nobody had them back then. It wasn't a fad like, a, like it is now. And, and so we bought a, a tent and, uh, you know, I guess it was about seven years, eight, eight years ago when we started really doing the, the overlanding thing. So, so what do you think about, uh, overlanding? Uh, how is it, uh, sleeping in, uh, the, the rooftop tent is the, I mean, it sounds like a lot of fun, but it also too sounds like it could be a real pain in the ass. I don't think so. I, I mean, they're um, they're way easier to set up than a tent. You know, you unzip the unzip the cover and fold them out, and your tent set up. They're they, you know, and all your bedding is in them. You know, they have a built-in mattress, so there's setup time compared to you know regular camping is is, is way less. Right. Um. So you know, plus you're off the ground. You never have to worry about you know getting you know mud and your or flooding or critters or or whatever. So um, there, as far as pain in the ass goes, I, I don't think so, but you know, it, there's, there's definitely work involved when you like, like on this trip where we were moving camp every single day. So you'd get up in the morning, cook breakfast, pack up camp, drive all day. We were rolling into camp almost every night, right around dusk. Um, you know, setting up camp, sitting around a campfire for a little while, eating dinner, going to bed. And then get on up the next morning and doing it all over again. So th- it was pretty brutal. Um, as far as, you know, just time goes, but ease of the ease of camp setup is, is quite easy when you're set up like that. Sure. I guess really the pain in the ass that I was talking about is like when you're going with the family, uh, the, the wife and the kids, uh, I, I would, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a hard thing for a man to find a place to go to the bathroom. Uh, women, it's a little more difficult. <laughs> yeah and, and my wife has a hard time with the tent um you know you get a little older and you know you start having to get up in the middle of the night to for a potty break oh <laughs> and, yeah you know a ladder seven feet off the ground it can be kind of difficult when you're three quarters of the way asleep and <laughs> watch you that, know watch that first <laughs> yeah. step oh good i yeah. don't have to pee now 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I don't want to rush you to the end here, but I know that there was a uh, another issue towards the end of the run uh, with uh, with your yellow XJ that that you weren't driving. Uh, when we thought the rear end blew up in it. Oh, you it, so that didn't happen. No, well, yeah, it was a loose wheel. Um, the the so. Yeah, so we're we're done with the trip, right? We're uh, we're we're done, and we're heading home. Uh, actually, rushing to get back to Salt Lake because Scott had to. His wife was flying in from New York, and he had to meet her at the airport. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get about halfway home, and we we'd actually had some problems with the MJ too. Uh, it had a a bad O ring and the speedometer gear housing, and so it was leaking. Uh, flew it out of the transfer case really, really bad. And yeah. we had uh, tightened it up and I told him or told the group that I wanted to stop and make sure we'd, we'd actually, we couldn't find an O-ring that fit. So we just siliconed it, you know, just to get it home. Yes. And I told the guys, I'm like, I want to stop and just make sure that it's not leaking anymore. And so we, we stopped and Scott come walking up to me and he's like, Hey, uh, this Jeep's making some, pretty bad noises coming out of the rear end and it's it's got a real bad uh vibration on deceleration do you want to drive it and i said yeah you know i'll hop in it and so we switched and i didn't get a mile down the road and i'm like it this thing is toasted a rear end i mean that's exactly what it sounded like it was it was a really ugly growly nasty noise and so we had some friends that were traveling with us that had a motor home and a and their jeep on a trailer and just for time's sake, we just quickly unloaded their Jeep, threw my Jeep on the trailer, and then he hopped in their Jeep, and, and we took off. When we got home, we pulled my Jeep off the trailer, pulled it in the driveway, and two of the lug nuts were, were gone, and the wheel was sitting in at a, at a really bad cant. Wow. And so we, we, we jacked it up, and I reached down, and I grabbed one of the lug nuts, and I didn't even twist it. It literally just come off in my hand. And other two remaining lug nuts maybe had a quarter of a turn. I don't think it would have gone another mile down the road and it would have lost a tire altogether. Gee so. whiz. <laughs> so the good news is the Dana 44 rear axle was just fine. Yeah. Yeah. The rear axle was fine. It ruined the wheel, but I guess a wheel is a lot cheaper than putting a rear end in it. So. Oh, a lot, lot less, a uh, lot less work uh, as well. So. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. So overall, uh, it sounds like it was a wonderful adventure, and uh, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that nobody <laughs> nobody died in the process. No, it was it was a good trip. It was so there there was a a hurricane that had come up through the Baja Peninsula and dropped a ton of moisture right before we got there. So <laughs> we dealt with mud yeah. and floods, and in fact, my my son. Um, the second day out, we're actually the first day out. So we, you know, we, we drove down after, uh, Scott flew in, camped the first night, got up the next morning and we're halfway through the day. And he's like, dad, I, I'm getting a sore throat. Oh no. And, and he started feeling worse and worse and worse and worse as the, as the day went on. And that night he was super miserable and it, it just, he, he was just having a miserable time and, and it, kept getting colder and colder and colder in fact we actually got into snow um when we went up over the henry mountains and uh after that we were we 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 come into blanding and basically the reason that we came into blanding is that we wanted to wash the jeeps they were so 
I felt bad for the guy that owned that car wash because six rigs come rolling into this car wash and we, we pretty much destroyed it by, by the time we were done. But, uh, a, a friend of mine that was with us had to go home the next day and I ended up sending, we, well, that night we were laying in the tent and it was raining and my son was sick and he was getting dripped on and he, he lost it. He just couldn't deal with it. And so we, we decided to get a hotel room that night and we woke up the next morning and it was cold and, uh, Scott, he was sleeping in a swag. I don't know if you, you know what a swag is, but it's like a little, it's a, it's a tent, but just barely big enough for one person to, to, to get in. And he, he had to roll it up wet and he was like, you know what? I'm, I'm buying us a hotel room tonight too. Cause I need to dry my stuff out. I can't, you know, everything's, everything was soaked. So we ended up spending a couple of nights in a hotel room where we had not planned to, but the, the weather just, sure just wasn't cooperating. <laughs> well, with your son being that, that sick too, you, uh, you don't want to make it worse just simply for the, the effect of, uh, you know, being off road the entire time. How many, how many days was it that you guys were out there? So we left here on the fourth, um, spent six days on that trip and rolled into Moab on the 10th. And then we were in Moab from 10th through the 14th. So 11 days total, I think. And there was a pretty good turnout for that Naxxia event uh, as well, wasn't there? Yeah, I would, I don't, I never heard the, the final count, but I think there was probably 60, 70 rigs there. That's great. That is, that's, that sounds like a lot of fun. And, and I would, I would hazard to say that if you had to do it all over again, including being run over, you'd go through the same thing. Cause I, I bet you had some beautiful visions and, uh, some great conversations around, uh, the, uh, the campfire. If you guys could actually have a campfire. <laughs> Everything but the run over part. I don't think I would do that again for anything. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> it really sucked and it really hurt. It was, uh, well, I don't know. It wasn't so much the pain as it was the fear. Cause I, I, I remember when I, you know, we left and we're driving down the road and I started to get the shakes and I was thinking to myself, this is the closest that I've ever come to dying. And oh, yeah. I could have easily died right here. You know? Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it was pretty scary. Yep, uh, it just, uh, that's an amazing story. I, I sure am glad uh, that uh, you're here and, uh, you know, I can joke about it and everything's fine. Uh, it certainly could have been the uh, the alternative. So do you, are you going to carry be carrying wheel chocks with you from now on? Yeah, I don't know if I'll be carrying wheel chocks, but, you know, this, the whole trip, the whole trip, anytime. I mean, you know how it is when you're out with Jeeps, everybody's always... Oh, I got a noise, you know, let's crawl under this Jeep and see what it is. I'm like, uh-uh, I ain't crawling underneath that Jeep. You guys can look at it. I'm going to stand right back here and watch. I'll, I'll, work, I'll work the camera. I'll have the evidence yeah. on video. Yep. yep. <laughs> Even my own Jeep, I had uh, I had a weird noise, and I think I was driving my Cherokee at the time and had something that I wanted to look at in the front end, and, and I got out of the Jeep, and it was, in, you know, it was in, it's a five speed so i shut it off it was in gear had the emergency brakes on and i got out and i went to i i went to crawl under and i got halfway under there and i was like whoa no i uh ain't doing this you know and it i had to steal myself to actually you know build up the nerve to to get underneath there i mean it, it really kind of oh, yeah it makes sense i mean i always try to teach my kids anytime i'm working on the the vehicle so i, I teach them about you know if you're going to have the, the tire off the white tire and wheel off stick that underneath the vehicle because that's going to give you that much more room if something should happen 
uh, and drop, it's going to land on the wheel. It may damage the wheel and the tire, but it's not it's not going to be on top of you. So there's all those little tricks that you can do to, to to keep yourself safe, and you should because you never know whenever the equipment you're using is going to fail, or like in your case, that uh, somebody left it in drive. I'm I'm still surprised about that. I mean. Uh, that alone would keep it from starting uh, with uh, the neutral safety switch uh, set up. It has to be neutral or park for, for it to start, kids. We, we think what probably happened was is that he, when, the, when it didn't start, he thought maybe the neutral safety switch was going out. And so he pulled it into neutral to see if it would start in neutral and forgot to put it back into park. And, yeah. But, well, he, he but it ended up not being quite into neutral it was it was just in drive instead of neutral well, you know, he could that, have, that's he, the only th- yeah he could have even bumped it when he was getting out uh cause, sure yeah because you can yep. move that thing without having to press the button if i recall properly yep. our, you our, know what happened i'm sorry I was just, uh, go ahead oh go ahead oh, i was just gonna say you know things happen you, you do things like that over and over and over again without ever thinking about them and it, it was an eye-opener for me because it's like you know this is something that i have done a thousand times before mm-hmm and it happened so fast like it, it just you just don't you know it 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 it, I, it will definitely make me change the way i do things yeah <laughs> it's and, and it's a good tale to, to remind everybody to stop and think you're you're never too uh in too big a hurry to make sure that what you're doing is a is a good idea because uh, something like this can happen well, Ryan, I really appreciate you being here with us tonight, and I can't believe that we've already gone through the uh, the whole interview time that we have, and uh, it sounds like it was a wonderful uh, trip. I'm, I, we, we just barely scr- scratched the surface of the trip. Yeah, yeah, yep, for sure. So uh, I know that uh, that you have uh, often do some just really wonderful pictures, and I'm sure you got uh, you got lots of good pictures during this trip. Where could people uh, go and see that? Would that be on your Instagram? Yeah, my Instagram, which is just... Uh Dr. Moab. And is it DR Moab? Yeah, D-R-M-O-A-B. Excellent. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot for being with us tonight. And uh, please keep us in mind. Uh, the, the next uh, great adventure that you go on, we can uh, talk to you about it before or after. And I don't know. We might want to do it before with these uh, Jeep running over incidences. You, <laughs> it might be a good idea, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we may not be able to get the after story. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm hoping that... Uh, Scott is going to return the favor, and I'm going to get to go down to Australia and hit the outback with him. So, Oh, I have no doubt, uh, and I bet you he had a great time as well. He did, yep. All right, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll be talking to you really soon. Cool, thanks. Thanks again to Ryan Ward, Dr. Moab himself, for taking the time to talk about his recent trip. And as I was listening to that interview, I kind of got goosebumps and chills because it was almost like he was channeling me this past weekend. Um, like I told you earlier, I was under my Jeep checking out the the rust and doing all that work. And I was on the part of my driveway that was flat. And my husband comes out, you need to move your Jeep because I was spray painting. He's like, I don't want any of that spray paint to get on his car. So I pulled it down the driveway a little bit and it was kind of on an incline. I'm like, oh, I better pull my emergency brake. And I got out of the Jeep and I'm getting ready to go under it and something inside me and this has never happened before. I've never been afraid to go under my Jeep, but something inside me told me, you know what, I better put something under the tires. And I was super extra cautious this time as I was working under my Jeep because 
I mean, who knows? I mean, that thing rolls over me. I'm a goner. So anyway, if you were channeling me, Ryan, thank you. I made some extra safe safety precautions, which I think everybody out there needs to be so careful when you're working on your Jeep in your own garage, because you just never know when um, a bad accident could happen. Real good stuff, Tammy. I mean, whether it's, you know, uh, putting in an extra, you know, uh, not floor jack, uh, jack stand or something there, or, you know, uh, putting the tires underneath the frame rails, just in case that thing were to come down on you, uh, you got a little bit of a buffer there to keep it from crushing you altogether. Um, you know, stuff like that, or just, you know, a cheap $8 Harbor Freight wheel chalk uh, to keep that, you know, vehicle from, you know, rolling away from where it sh- where you're working on it. Little stuff like that, you know, just sometimes it, you think that it just, oh, I don't need to worry about that. And next thing you know, you're hearing a story about a guy getting ran over by his own Jeep. So, uh, yeah, good stuff there. Good stuff. Hey, do you guys have an idea for a guest? Do you work in the off-road industry or maybe you know somebody who does? Maybe you would like to be a guest here on the Jeep Talk Show. Have you been ran over by your own Jeep? Well, everybody's got a Jeep story to tell and we want to hear yours. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact right now. No, I do mean yours, your story. You've got one. We want to hear about your recent wheeling trip or, you know, that last mod that totally failed. Anyways, share your idea for our next great guest. Very well, could be you. So should we refer to Ryan as a uh, wheel chalk or speed bump? Jeez. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> hey, coming up next week, uh, David Ludington, uh, owner of JustJeepStuff.com. So go over there and check it out. Tammy, get your shopping out of the way so you'll be fresh for the uh, for the interview. Yeah, I'll I'll get that. I'll go to it now. Is it JustJeepNStuff.com? Yes. Dot com? Okay. I will go there. Well, I'll wait till after the show. <laughs> I won't go there now. You got yourself. That's good. From the mind of Nikki G. Hey, this is Nikki G. And when I'm not listening to the Jeep talk show, I like to wear a red shirt and khakis and walk around Target and ask people how their day's going. And then when they ask me where something is located, I say, how should I know? I don't work here. All right, boys and girls, I'll uh, chat you later. You have a good one. Bye. You must have needed this every day. I need it! It's the Jeep Talk Show's must-have stuff. Pick of the week for your Jeep. What the hell is that? Well, a dog barking collar? You know, no, you know Josh, you, know you need to date yeah. better. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, a little bit of a masochist, you know, who doesn't like a little bit of pain and pleasure? Well, anyways, um, <laughs> that's, that's a whole different podcast, people. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. What is it? Oh, only- you, you swipe to the left or the right? I don't, uh, remember. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. Woof. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Well, uh, I don't know about uh, you guys. Uh, daylight savings time has struck, and and of course, it's getting dark here now at like four thirty in the afternoon. Uh, not maybe not quite it. as early as that, but uh, but <laughs> soon enough. And uh, you know, even even with that, you know, fall and winter time, great time to go out and wheeling. Um, but you know, with as dark as it is, as early as it is, and and with you know so little hours of daylight in the day, you need some extra lighting. And auxiliary lighting is great on the Jeep, but it's, you know, when you have a light that's attached to the bumper or attached to the A-pillar or fender or something like that, uh, it doesn't really do you a whole lot of good when you need to work on the brakes or, you know, the tighten up or replace a, a driveline, a U-joint or something when you're out on the trail at night in the dark. Flashlights are fine and all, but really, you know, you need both hands. So what comes up and uh, replaces that? 
Well, a headlamp. No, I'm not talking about, you know, duct taping a battery to your back and strapping up, you know, a sealed beam to your forehead. No, nothing quite like that. But it is basically an electric strap or an elastic strap with a uh, with electronic light up on it. Uh, and they're, they're all LEDs now, pretty much. So the one that I really like uh, is is from Black Diamond. Uh, the Black Diamond Spot, specifically. Very cheap. In fact, they're under $40 pretty much everywhere you go. And you can find them for as low as 30 sometimes, and even with free shipping on places like Amazon. They come with one quad power LED and one double power LED uh, that are both white, or one's white rather, and emit a 300 lumen output. Now, settings include full strength in two different modes, proximity and distance. That means it's got a close beam and a wide beam and has dimming abilities as well. Of course, that awesome strobe mode for those epileptic dances around the campfire and a red night vision and lock mode as well. Brightness memory allows you to turn the light on and off at a chosen brightness without reverting back to full power. Pretty, clue, pretty cool. Uh, and is IPX8 waterproof. That means you can hold this thing underwater about three feet or a meter or so for about a good 30 minutes. And, well, it's still going to work just fine. Power tap technology allows instant transitioning between full and dimmed power. And this light is really my personal choice uh, for really any Jeep glove box or, uh, or tool bag, anything like that. For it, really its toughness and, and rugged ability, uh, the IPX8 rating better than most out there. Most are, you know, in the six or seven range uh, and really just don't hold up to the rigors of, you know, an off-road wintertime trail, you know, uh, repair type of situation. And most importantly, the r number one reason why I love this light is the red light. It protects your night vision. I've got great night vision and nothing ruins it worse than suddenly some, somebody turning on a bright flashlight. Hey, what's that over there? You know, and all <laughs> of a sudden that? now you can't, yeah, you can't <laughs> see anything except for big rectangles everywhere. You know, so um, I love my night vision and the red light protects that when you're out there. So if you need to just look at something really quick, hey, did that lug nut fall off? Is that an, a vacuum leak I hear? Uh, let's just take a look at the map again really quick. Stuff like that. You don't need, you know, a thousand candle power out there, you know, 10,000 lumens to illuminate your map that you're looking at. So um, did I mention that this one as well also lasts twice as long as the next model up? Now, the Storm is the one that a lot of people might suggest, it, but it only has 14% more output at only 350 lumens. Uh, and is, you know, it comes with a higher, higher price tag as well. So um, it also takes four AA batteries versus three, so it's a lot heavier. And with only 14% more output, well, I'm not going to pay the extra price and put an extra battery in there for 14% more output and a, a blue and green light in addition to the red. So um, once again, the Black Diamond Spot headlamp for less than $40 pretty much everywhere you go is my choice for, well, pretty much anything that you need to light up. I don't know. If it's disco night at the campfire, uh, the multicolored uh, lights might be better. <laughs> you know, disco. Yeah. Lights on yeah, here. We, lights on there. We, we got it, Tony. <laughs> now that you guys must have one of these black diamond headlamps for your very own, we'll make it easy for you. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com and look for the link in the show notes for episode 358. And coming up in a few minutes, we're going to hear a little bit about some events that are happening in your hometown, around the nation, in Wheeling Ware. Hey, what's that over there? Ah, I'm blind! <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, if you're if you're night wheeling, remember to turn on every stinking light that you ever purchased and put onto your Jeep, <laughs> because you know you can't you can't use them. You've paid money for them, so now you're off road. It's nighttime, so turn them all on. <laughs> oh, people kill me. <laughs> So I don't know about you guys, but uh, I, I've been jonesing to get out and uh, and get it into four low, um, especially recently. I had a lot of great weather here in the northwest over the summer, and uh, and of course this fall has been extremely mild, and and they're predicting a uh, a pretty mild winter too with an El Nino uh, sort of brewing off offshore. Now, Tammy, you kind of made me real jealous when you said the words record snowfall. Those are some of my yeah. favorite words ever. Uh, and, and so I, I, I may have to come out for a visit or something just to, because it doesn't sound like we're going to get a whole lot of snow this year. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I got to get out before, uh, we do get some snow because uh, I need to get a really serious shakedown run in, um, uh, before I, uh, before I go out on, on a big snow run. Uh, last thing you want to do is be out on a snow run and, and something that you weren't expecting or, uh, that you didn't check previously fails on you or, you know, whatever. And uh, you're trying to do a repair in three feet of snow. No bueno. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to get out and uh, head, check out the Lodi Flats OHV recreational area. Uh, that's just about 30 miles from my uh, from where I'm at right now. Just about a one-hour drive, really. Uh, relatively close. Pretty small, though, all things considered. And, and this is a, a storied type of OHV area because it was open and then it was closed and then it was open again and then it was closed again. It's gone through two complete redesigns. Uh, over the years that it's been open and closed, uh, and, and finally it, it's been open again the last, uh, I don't know, about uh, two years or so um, with, uh, with absolutely no stewardship uh, with local clubs and stuff. The, um, the, it's, it's on uh, Mountain Hood National Forest land, I believe, uh, and so the National Forest System stepped in. It was just like, look, this is an area uh, that we have constant illegal use on. Let's just go ahead and develop it. Let's get the, you know, the OHV signs out there. Let's get it open for public use. It's public land anyway. We can't really spend endless amounts of money trying to enforce closure on this thing. Let's get it fixed up. Let's get the wheelers, you know, wheeling again. And that's exactly what they did. In a couple of years, it's, it's been in, in, uh, in use. And uh, from what I hear, the trail system has evolved pretty well. And, uh, and it's, it's pretty fun up there. So I'm going to go check it out. Uh, just kind of do a recon run. Um, I don't officially have anybody going with me so i really don't want to get into any serious wheeling uh so it's going to be more of a just kind of a check it out kind of run so, so that's what i'm doing this weekend so are you leak free now i know you were having a problem with axle yes, seals and uh i can't remember if the if the transfer case was leaking um it was uh, it took me three uh three seals to finally uh, oh, well, that's it right took me, yeah. it took me two junk seals and finally going with a timkin <laughs> uh before i finally well, got that that's output. a practice uh, ad yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, like I told you guys the, the last time we talked about it, is uh, it took me three times the last time as well, a third time's a charm with that that output shaft seal. So I, I did not miss uh, when I went with my uh, SYE from Tom Woods uh, custom drive shafts. I mm-hmm. did not miss not no longer having to me- mess with that seal. Uh, that what's that seal is a pain in the ass, and it, it, it certainly teaches you what the oil slinger does uh, that that goes yeah. that goes over that. <laughs> Hey Josh, what kind of yeah. um, what kind of uh, trails are at these La D flats? Is that how you say it? La D La D da. La D. Yeah, like La D da. Exactly. I mean, is it is it like in the mountains? 
Uh, well, you know, it's out here in the Pacific Northwest and on, you know, Mount Hood National Forest land. So, yes, it's it's very mountainous, uh-huh. uh, as is much of the uh, the OHV areas out here. Uh, we have a lot of mountains. And, and in fact, as the one thing I want to talk to you guys about, you know, our guest tonight uh, was talking about, you know, going from one end of Utah to the other without really hitting any any pavement. Uh, and there's a famous trail system out here on the West, Col- West Coast called the Back country discovery route and there's one in washington and there's one in oregon as well and it's thousands and thousands of combined miles of of uh, essentially off-road uh uh trails um but when i'm not not necessarily trails more like logging roads and service roads and, and stuff like that but you can essentially go from the border of canada to the border of california with hitting less than five miles of, of pavement wow yeah. Wow. Uh, it w- it would take you about two weeks or so. It's about um it's about six days for each state um to do it, and and obviously you, it, there's a lot of planning uh, that goes into it. Once you get um past uh, the the Washington border into Oregon, um there are six legs of the backcountry discovery route uh, which you can take. Uh, the first leg is pretty much the leg that everybody has to take, and then you can go off in different routes from there and either cross the cross the state the long way. Uh, going back over the Cascades again and dumps you back, uh, dumps you out, out at the coast range, or you can dump out uh, at the California border on the west side or the east side of the Cascades, depending on which which route you go. So um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 miles of off-road routes just in the uh, backcountry discovery route of Oregon wow. alone uh, that you could that you could um, tackle. So when he was talking about you know, you could spend your entire, you know, adult life more or less starting at the age of 18 and not seeing all of the off-road that Idaho has to offer. I believe him with, uh, without a doubt, uh, because just how much, you know, off-road stuff there is just over here in Oregon in the Cascades, Oregon and Washington rather. So, And the great thing about all the trails, is- you're never further than five minutes away from a Walmart. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know about all that. I mean, I I can't imagine six days. I guess you're winding back and forth and back and forth. Well, you're doing a lot of camping too, I'm sure. Well, a lot of camping. We're thinking, we're talking about excursion type of wheeling here. We're talking about, you know, there, there is, you know, you're not going to see anybody except for maybe the occasional motorcycle or something like that. Somebody else who, or you know, horseback or hiker or something like that. But you know, this is going to be one of those those trips where you have to do a lot of planning because you're going to be in very remote areas uh, for a long time. And, Fuel, and there water, is very food, little service. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And gas, more importantly, there's very specific routes that you have to take because otherwise you're going to run out of gas and you need to dump out in these areas and backtrack up you know, a mile or so into this little town so that you can go and fill up your gas cans because you've got another you know, 300 miles of off-road that you have to do uh, and there's not a gas station between here and there. So, you know, a lot of stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we've talked to, we've interviewed some people here on the show before that have, you know, really big into overlanding and have done big trip uh, planning and stuff like that, where you have to go, you have to take these considerations in, into planning uh, because there's so much that can go wrong. And obviously we, we heard that from Dr. Moab himself. And it's really, really important uh, about the communications too, because you may or may oh, not have yeah. cell service. Uh, so you really have to Consider uh, in emergency in an emergency situations how you're going to communicate with the outside world to to get help. 
uh, especially if it's a fuel situation, you may not be able to drive to where you can get help. So Exactly. And that'd be a long hike with a gas can. Yep. And there's not going to be anybody to stick your thumb out and give a ride from. An actual honest to goodness use for all those uh, rotopacks that you see people driving around yeah, with that exactly. never go off road. <laughs> They're like, brand, they look brand new. So, Tammy, well, you care to explain to the rest of the class why you were late today? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, my it was my last time for soccer mom duties. They're over. Um, you mean had, like for the rest of your life? or? Well, I'm, I hope not. But my son is an eighth grader, so next year he'll be in high school. And so he would have to try out for the high school team. Right now he plays in like, you know, rec leagues or... You know, um, it's not like school-related soccer. So anyway, there's been so much rain here. It's just unbelievable, all the rain. And they've had, what, three games canceled. One was cut short because of the rain. And then the past two weekends, their playoff games were canceled. So finally, they scheduled one tonight. We played on a football field in the lights. and They played soccer, and it was the first game for the playoffs and it's once you lose you're out um so tonight they played they lost um but i as i'm sitting there watching the game i'm thinking oh my god this could be i'm gonna start crying here um this could be his last ever game because he's not sure if he wants to try out for high school because he's afraid he might not make the team and i'm like ben because he he always gets on these really bad teams we're like the bad news bears um but he's really he's really good and he's not one of those players that is a ball hog and dribbles up the field and he passes and i said ben you just gotta try out you know you you, because you'll look back and you'll kick yourself but anyway Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm sad and i'm kind of happy at the same time that they they didn't go on because it's really cold i don't want to sit on those bleachers in the cold and that means hopefully I can get to Roush Creek sometime in November. Ooh. I know. Courtney, she is the um, lady who was the trail guide with me during Women's Wheeling Day. She wants me um, to come up with her, and we are going to possibly try the trail Crawl Daddy, which is the last. There's three trail badges at Roush Creek. And Crawl Daddy is one of them. And Crawl Daddy is a black trail. And she has gotten out of her Jeep and physically walked up the trail just to see what it's like. And she goes, she walked up the trail and she's like, there are some bypasses. And she goes, "Um, I'm pretty sure we could do it. And then she puts, I think. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's such a vote of confidence. Um, So anyway, I'm hoping our weekends can mesh up and her and I can drive up there and try out that trail. So what, I, what I've uh, heard and read about the, the famous crawl daddy trail is uh, that if it's wet, uh, the difficulty level well, pretty yeah. much goes up a whole nother category. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's funny. You said that because she said, if it doesn't rain. Well, <laughs> so. all right so she already knows then yeah right uh yeah i would i would say pretty much uh, the videos that i've seen of, of crawl daddy you're gonna you, somebody needs to have a winch um it'd probably be in your guys's best interest uh right. or at least at least a you know um a pull strap or something with recovery points front and rear and i hope she's got some armor protection uh, some rocker protection because that looks pretty nasty in a couple places 
Yes, she she has a winch, so we would be good. But I don't think we would try it in the rain or if it was wet. There you so go. I just I can't because I it's my our only vehicle now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to crunch crunch any metal if uh, right if, if it's your only only vehicle. So. So I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, I was working on a Raspberry Pi project. Uh, I've had this thing uh, with a 7-inch a touchscreen for a while, pulled it back out of the Jeep because I wanted to uh, change over from doing a ham radio a, uh, APRS with it to uh, doing a uh, in-general type uh, Raspberry Pi, uh, Jeep Pi, if you will. And uh, one of the things that I had thought about was uh, you can get these, you know, if, you, if you're not a, uh, not aware, Raspberry Pi is a, a single board It's delicious. Computer. Oh, it's, I mean, it's so juicy when it's warm. And, oh, not, I'm sorry, Tom. Nice and crunchy from the berries. <laughs> um, but uh, if uh, the, uh, the Raspberry Pi itself is about $35, and you can get a, uh, an eight uh, relay board that you can connect to it with really just simple little wires uh, that just go on there and... and but five minutes on the internet, you can find uh, the information to write a program so you can uh, turn those uh, relays on and off from your uh, Raspberry Pi just by touching the screen. And uh, I had this idea about, well, let me see if I can build some soft switches to turn uh, the uh, LEDs on and off and, and maybe some other things that you can uh, turn on and off with relays. So uh, what I have uh, accomplished so far uh, is... Hey, where do my, why do my lights just turn off? <laughs> What are you, Tony? God damn. <laughs> so uh, what I've accomplished so far is I've uh, wrote a little program that has uh, eight soft buttons, which basically means they're just little graphics uh, that you touch that will uh, turn a relay on and off. And I've got it all cabled up uh, with all the sensors that I wanted to put in uh, on the pie to measure various things, barometric pressure, temperature, uh, the the three axes, uh, axes, uh, GPS coordinates. Status of Josh's blender on his counter. <laughs> I can hear that going off now. You've really outdone yourself this time, Tony. So, well, thank you. So, uh, and, and I came up with a, uh, got a couple some uh, RJ45 connectors that I was able to uh, solder onto some PCB boards. Uh, and the idea behind there was to uh, be able to connect the relays under the hood to the Raspberry Pi by using a standard network cable, uh, eight conductor network cable. So that makes the, the cable run a lot simpler and cleaner. And I've got all that done. Uh, all I need to do now is uh, find some Tupperware that's not protected uh, and won't be missed. So I can build a little uh, enclosure for this relay board and I can uh, stick it in the Jeep and, uh, and play around with it. What about a project box or something like that? I've, I've seen some weatherproof project boxes for, you know, little small electronic uh, projects and stuff like that that might be perfect for that situation versus, you know, I don't know, like a margarine container underneath the hood. Nothing I have uh, been able to locate on Amazon uh, looks like it would fit the bill for the, the shape mm. of, uh, of this relay thing. And gotcha. uh, I, I, the only thing is, is that it doesn't have to be fancy. It needs to be relatively small because you know how much room there is. Uh, under the the XJ hood. Um, But uh, if I can, uh, I just want to kind of keep the water off of it a little bit and uh, do some, do some long-term testing with it. Now this, this goes a little, little further out there, but I've been eyeballing a nice uh, 3d printer that would make really good for stuff like this. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. You know, make a, make a $3, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> plastic case $3 spool for, of wire, for yeah. $1,500. Yeah. <laughs> but, it would, but it'd be really cool. I could make a lot of things with it. Uh, but uh, no, the, all red. The, there's actually, uh, yeah, there actually is a, a nice $300 uh, 3D printer that's uh, highly recommended on uh, on Amazon. I just don't know. I don't think it would be big enough. I may have to, would may have to make the, the, uh, the box in two pieces because I think it's only five and a half by five and a half by five and a half. But uh, uh, that's very pretty impressive. common. Yeah. Is it? Very, but, but very, uh, for 300 bucks, it's a very nice unit. But yeah. I, I think I'm just going to kind of go just stay calm and not, you know, buy a lot of things to do some simple little thing and then it gets pushed over to the side. Let me, uh, let me throw this at you, Tony, uh, because, you know, I'm a design engineer by trade and, and I have access to the software and stuff that allows me to create the kind of geometry and, and, and programs and, and files and stuff that 3D printers can use. Now, Maybe there's somebody like on Fiverr or on Craigslist or something like that that's willing to do some freelance 3D printing work. Um, I can, if you, you know, based on your dimensions or a rough sketch or something like that, can create a 3D model and, and write the, you know, the code and programming uh, that a 3D printer uh, needs to, to read uh, to create that such sort of thing. And you could sort of outsource that, if you will, without having to spend $300. Well, you know, the uh, I had uh, this idea about doing some 3D printing of um, the little Jeep Talk Show logo, and I actually got one done up. And uh, it it was the idea was to about kind of make a badge, like you see the trail rated mm, badges yeah. you know, on on the side. And and I had one one made, but uh, it it it's a lot like um, a lot like um, like a sponge, uh, and not really conducive to being in the elements. It's it, it turned yeah, out very yeah. nicely. But this one thing was $22. Ooh. And, and that was the outsourcing. So, well, I guess that's not 300 but still, yeah, so, yeah. So I'm afraid that, uh, you know, at least with what I've seen online, uh, I could have a box printed, uh, and, but, but designing it would be the least of the issues. Uh, paying yeah. for it would be the thing. I yeah. thought you were going to say, you know, we got CNC machines here. And, uh, and a, I'll just machine and, one out of a solid bill of aluminum for well, you and actually, anodize it red and actually, the whole kit you know, for you. If I was dreaming, I was dreaming big and you were going to go say, and we got a shit ton of uh, spare titanium. And, oh. how, <laughs> and how cool would it be to have that and the Jeep Talk Show logo? <laughs> I do have a little bit of titanium around here somewhere that I... <laughs> But, uh, no. Yeah, no. So you, I think you can see why, why I'm going here is just I just need something simple to go on. Nobody's going to see it. Uh, I just need to keep the water off of it. And uh, but I think it'll be a lot of fun, especially when I start getting into lighting patterns. Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> I, I, Why do you need lighting patterns? Because Tony's going to be so he's he's going to be Morse coding the Jeep Talk Show as he's driving down the freeway oh, with Lord. his lights and, and these you know patterns and codes and. I figure I figure if I can get an eighteen wheeler uh, set up with the same thing and then use colored lights and then I could do mine with the you know with colored lights on my on the front of my Jeep and we could face yeah, them you both could talk to the international space station just by morse code alone we could we could <laughs> right. face we could face both the big 18 wheeler with all the its big lights and the little jeep with all its lights and recreate the uh, the ending sequence to close encounters of the third kind oh for <laughs> 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 Tammy, I finally did it. He finally fell over in his chair. <laughs> I did it, too. He literally oh, fell out of his chair. He literally fell out of my chair. Oh, I thought you were joking. <laughs> no. He literally oh, was Lord. on the floor. Oh, good times. He was on oh, the floor laughing his ass off. <laughs> oh, 
So that L M A O. Yes. Right. Oh, there, there probably was really an F-A-O, F-A-O in there. Right. But uh, yeah, no, but I think that'd be great. You know, if if I if I had won the nine hundred million dollars, we would have had videos like this. I would have called in mm. Spielberg, and we would have redone it uh, with his permission, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, having some fun with the pie, and uh, have made lots of little Amazon purchases as I I go further along, and coming up with uh, well, how am I going to hook this up, and how am I going to do this, and uh, I still have to write well, all the I, software I, I hope- to display the uh, the sensor information. I hope the show is getting some credit from all those Amazon purchases. Uh, yes. He's like, ah, uh, I forgot to click the link. Crap. Well, technically, we're, uh, I'm not supposed to do that since uh, nah, I'm yeah. the beneficiary of it, you know. So uh, it's, they they kind of frown on that. So I try to I try to do the right thing. Well, do you guys want to join in on the campfire side chat? We'd sure love to have you. Grab a chair, grab a beer, and just well see what you have to say. Go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out all the ways that you can reach out to us and join in on the fun. Hey, now some events from around the world and maybe in your neck of the woods too. Don't forget to let us know about your event. If you know about an event or if you have one that you've planned or are involved in, just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact, click and fill out our wheeling wear form. And just don't do what I did and get lost staring at that raging river there in the background for two hours. It'll suck you in. <laughs> That's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> well, I told you about it before. It's the Overland Expo East. It's happening this weekend at the Rebranch south of Asheville, North Carolina. If you're going, let us know what you thought. Give us a call when you get back and uh, let us know what you saw. Uh, coming up December 1st through the 2nd, it's the Unlimited Off-Road Show. This one is pretty dang big. If uh, you're into diesels or you know, pretty much a monster truck Jeeps, uh, you're going to see it all right there at the Coming Fairgrounds, North Metro Atlanta, Georgia. And we have, well, this is going to be a good one, guys. The Toys for Tots Stuff a Bus. They're trying to stuff a bus with Toys for Tots, people. How can you not get in on this one? December 1st. 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. at the Lowe's parking lot off Sarah Way in Bell, Vernon, Pennsylvania. We're going to have the links to these events as well as all the others in any of the show notes for any of the episodes that you're listening to. Uh, of course, you go just head over to jeeptalkshow.com website for this episode or any of the others, and well, you can see all the information for yourself. That's it for this week, guys. Until next week, do us a huge favor. Help us grow and tell somebody about the show. And as always, thank you for listening to the world's most downloaded Jeep podcast. Warning, the Jeep Talk Show you are trying to listen to is currently in use by another Jeeper. Please check to see if you are already listening to the Jeep Talk Show and just don't know it. Don't worry, it happens to us all the time. If you encounter this message repeatedly, please contact your nearest Jeep Talk Show administrator. If you encounter this message repeatedly, please contact your nearest Jeep Talk Show administrator. If you encounter this message repeatedly, please contact your nearest Jeep Talk Show administrator. I'm guessing since 2010. Hey, not ready for the show to be over? Well, we can understand that. Now you can hear more Jeep Talk Show goodness by installing the Jeep Talk Show app. Just go to Apple or Google Store, search for Jeep Talk Show, and hit that install button. Not only will you have the latest episode, but our entire library of shows. Plus, and only on the Jeep Talk Show app, you'll have access to bonus content. Look for the bonus content icon on the Jeep Talk Show app and hear what goes on after the interview and after the show.